And so tonight's topic is called Restoration of the Heart. And subtitle is A Biblical Basis. You have to know this is in the Bible. This is not some new doctrine. This is not something somebody made up. Even though maybe some, you know, other Christians have never heard it taught in a church before. We're going to prove it. We're going to prove it to you that this is a biblical message. And then we'll go a little deeper and see how God might, you know, work in your heart. So so I have this handout, and I want to explain it to you in just a minute here as everyone gets it. Okay? And if we don't have enough, we'll go ahead and copy off a couple more, I guess. But we're close. All right. So I was in a counseling school. I wanted to learn. Not only did I go for my own personal life to receive breakthroughs in counseling about the healing of my heart, um, afterwards I started realizing this has done such a wonderful work in me. I want to learn how to help other people. And so I attended school for this kind of counseling. And uh, a certain ministry out of Idaho was promoting the school, and I attended it. And in their manual was this little bitty picture, this little illustration. And um, could I just see that for a minute? It's good that we don't have many left over. That's good. And so um, as you can see, the title of it is called The Lake of God's Blessings. And, you know, that's kind of unusual to personify God as a lake, but let's just do that tonight, okay? Let's consider that that God wants to pour out, because every lake has an outlet, right? Except for the Dead Sea, which has no outlet, right? Every lake has an outlet, and in our little diagram that was in that manual, as they were teaching us, they were saying that lakes are to be an outlet to your heart, But here's the issue. There's a log jam that holds it back. And there's just a little trickle that comes every once in a while to our life. And boy, when I saw that and it was explained in the manual, I thought, that is definitely me. Because I'm a Christian who's got a lot of blockages, it seems, and I don't understand it. And you could read the bottom where it talks about log jams are unresolved issues around the heart. And here's some identifications for you. And so it says at the bottom that the design is to flow as a river to you, but the log jams only allow a trickle to come out. And what helps to get it to flow again is recognition, confession, and prayers of forgiveness. And it takes the log jams out one by one as you deal with it. It's up to you to work together with God that you... Respond to him and you dislodge what he shows you. And you follow these steps. First you recognize, then it's important to confess. Because the Bible says, confession, you may be healed. It doesn't say rationalize it, stuff it, try to you know make sure it doesn't bother you anymore. It says, no, recognize, then confess. And with forgiveness for yourself from God, as well as for anyone who's hurt you, it begins to dislodge these log jams. So I'd like to give that to you. And uh, I have a suggestion. Put it in your Bible later on. But this will be a good visual for you to understand what we're talking about tonight. And so we'll go into some specific things. But especially at the beginning, I want to give you a biblical basis for it. That it's not some new doctrine. It's not unusual. It's right there in the Bible. Okay, so let's start off with this thought. Psalm 73 says this, and I can kind of quote a first line or two. It says this, God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet were beginning to slip, he says. And he goes in the rest of that psalm to talk about all his troubles. So think about that again. God is good, he says. And many of us will agree with that with our mind. We know it's biblical. We'll say, yeah, God is good. We'll even kind of use it as a cliche in some churches, right? God is good. And everybody says, all the time, right? It's like a cliche. But a lot of times it's just here. And that's what the psalmist was saying. I recognize God is good to Israel. But as for me, he says, I object. 
My, my life is really in difficulties. And that's really a condition of the human heart many times. And that was definitely me approximately 28, 30 years ago. So here's my question to you as we begin. If Jesus said he came to bring life and that more abundantly, then Jim Curtis used to say when he heard that scripture, where is it in my life? Where's the abundant life? I saw that little manual illustration and yeah, I identify. I only seem to get a little bit every once in a while. So a question is also this. Why are Christian people, why are believers in Christ blocked in their life with Christ? There's blockages. And better yet, maybe the question is this. Where did these blockages come from? So I want to just say that in in another way. Sometimes we say, why, God? Why doesn't this happen like I'm hoping for, I'm praying for? Why, God? Why don't you help me, God? I remember praying that. God, why can't you help me in these situations? Why is it so difficult? Why? And in the classes we were learning basically this. It's not very fruitful or helpful to ask God why. The best question is where? Where, God, are these blockages in my life? Show me. Holy Spirit, reveal to me where the roots are, where the log jam is, if you will. Where are these unresolved issues in my life? I don't know it unless you help me. I can't figure it out on my own. So the Holy Spirit is definitely needed to help me to show me where, not why. And so a good thought for us to start with. So I used to say that in my prayer time. I used to say, God, why? Why is it so difficult, my marriage? Why do we fight all the time? Why do we fight over the kids, how to discipline the kids? Why do, why do other marriages seem to be so happy and ours is really not? Why, God? Why, why is it difficult to minister in my town that you sent me to? Why isn't there more people in my church? Why, why? And I didn't realize until I was attending this school, as well as personal counseling, it's not really very helpful. But now ask, where, God? Where did these things start in me? Where, what's the beginning? Where's the roots in me? And so I'd like to talk to you about this in, as we go into the biblical basis of it. So, so God has a reality. God is the creator, right? God has created everything. And he's created the whole physical universe. He's created the spiritual universe as well. He's even created our souls, which we might say is psychological universe in a way. And so there are laws to his creation. You do realize, I have this little ball to illustrate. I got my name on it, representing me. But just for now, we won't look at me. We'll look at the ball and we'll say, he has created everything we see, the physical universe. And in in the universe that he's created physically, there are laws because it brings order. That's part of his creation. If I release it, I just let go, it's going to drop because there's a law working. I don't see the law. I'm not always aware of the law, but we're standing on terra firma. We're sitting on our seats tonight because there's a law working right now, even if we're not aware of it. Call gravity. There's various other physical laws that are working right now. And they're constant, and we can examine them, we can study them. But we also know from the Bible that there are spiritual laws, and they too are working even if we don't recognize it. A person might say, well, I don't believe that I have to forgive anybody. Where Jesus says, if you don't forgive, then things are going to be working against you. And so we're going to go into some of those laws in just a minute. And so the thought basically is that there are laws to the spiritual realm and even to the soul realm, the realm of our heart. And God has laws that he's explained in the Bible to show us how to bring order to our life. And it's not that gravity is working against me, but gravity is supposed to be an orderly law. 
right? If I go on the rooftop here and I just say, I'm just going to decide because I'm special that I'm just going to jump off and it's not going to affect me because I'm Jim, right? I'm special, right? That law is going to work against me, not because God is against me, but because it's a law. It's a law of order. And the same thing is true spiritually. There are spiritual laws that we'll learn about again and we'll be refreshed tonight because you already kind of have heard some of these, but we're going to put it into the proper perspective that these laws are not against you. They're supposed to bring order to your life, but there's no exception. Just like gravity allows for no exception, you know, you're not going to have any exemption from the law of gravity and it's it's also universal in the sense of the spiritual laws. I even would conclude with you that these spiritual laws even work for non-Christians in a way. But for us believers, we know the Bible and we'll know what these laws are as we study them again tonight. Okay, so let's talk about a biblical basis. And I have to go with my little clicker because... There we go. I already spoke about that. So there are these three areas of God's creation, okay? And in them are the laws that we talked about. So um, another thought for us is as the universe operates by laws, so does every realm of the universe. There's that lake of blessing in another way. If you could have that in your mind, the question again is, why are there blockages in my life? That's not a good question. Where are they? Show them to me, Lord, so I can deal with it. Show me how to have these laws working for me. And so that's part of the concept that we have here for your little diagram. Okay. Now, this is a biblical message, the healing of the heart. And found here in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 is an orderly progression. It's not there by coincidence. It's written there exactly the way it works. And this is what Paul says to the believers in Thessalonia. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Or another translation says, holy. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, I underlined it, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I propose to you that the Bible is in this exact order. When you get saved, where, did, where does life begin, so to speak? When you're born again, your spirit comes alive, right? You were once dead in your sins, even though you were alive like a, a, you know an unbeliever tonight. They're alive, but they're dead in their sins, the Bible tells us. When you get born again, your spirit is now made alive. And that's where it begins. And then the second realm is the soul or the heart. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But it also is going to be the salvation and the working of God in our bodies, And so the Bible is very, very clear on this. So think about it like this. In your spirit, Ephesians 2 says this. You were once dead in your sins and trespasses, and now you are born again, right? To a lively hope, another scripture says. You come alive in your spirit. You were once under the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, it says, that works in the children of disobedience. So now you're delivered out from under that spirit, and now your spirit is alive. You're saved. You're born again. You're going to heaven. And, and there's no uh, doubt about that. You have assurance of that. But you see, folks, it's more than just a spirit salvation, the, the Bible message. He wants to make you whole. He wants to, as this translation says, to sanctify you through and through. And so he begins in your spirit and then he works out the salvation in your soul. And then the last of all, our bodies will be saved. And we know this from scripture. Let's consider uh, James chapter 1 verse 21. He says this. He says, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. Now, when James is writing this letter, he's writing it to Christians when he says saving of your soul. And so Christians need the saving of their souls. He wasn't writing to unbelievers. 
He said that the engrafted word, that's like the thought of grafting in one piece into another tree, you know, a tree limb into a tree trunk, right? And there's a grafting process. And you know what that's like. You know when you've been in a Bible study or you've been in church and for some reason you're distracted in your mind and the word is going forth, somebody's teaching or preaching a message and the word is going in one ear and it's going right out. It's not engrafted. I mean, you're distracted. You're thinking about the Thanksgiving turkey that's, you know, cooking right now. Or you're thinking about, you know, the... The, the game that's going on, the Lions game, that's every Thanksgiving, right? And so you've been there, I've been there, where the word goes forth and it's really not making any impact in my life. It's not reaching me, right? It's not connecting with me. So the Bible says, receive to Christians the engrafted word which is able to save your soul, he says to Christians. What is the soul? The soul is our heart. It's our emotions, it's our memories, it's our feelings. We need our feelings healed and saved, the Bible tells us. And so this is the biblical basis for the healing of our heart. But then the wonderful message is found in Romans chapter 8, that we will even receive, because we've already received the Holy Spirit, who is the adoption of better things to come. And then he says that we are saved by hope, and and he's talking about the salvation of our body. And so spirit salvation, soul salvation, body salvation. Now, I would propose to you that it's something for a Christian that's in your past, that's spirit salvation, but the now is your soul. And until the Lord returns, or until that moment that we get raised up from the grave, right, there's, we're going to wait for that body salvation. And in between this Christian life that we're living here on earth, it's all about the saving of your soul. And so if you didn't realize it, that's what God has been doing in your life. That's what he wants to do. And maybe the process has been quicker at other times. Maybe it's been slow and you didn't recognize it. But nevertheless, that's what he's working in your life to do, to bring the engrafted word so that the word of God is able to save your soul. And so we're going to talk about this. So healing is our inheritance, the Bible tells us. It's even uh, a ministry of Jesus. When Jesus took the scroll in his hometown synagogue and he was reading from Isaiah 61, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And he goes on to say, to heal the brokenhearted. That's the anointing of Jesus that you've received, that you receive even tonight, that you receive when you spend your time with with Christ, when you spend your time when the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Father comes upon you. He's got a ministry to reach out to people to bring healing to Christians' hearts. Heal the brokenhearted. Amen to that. Okay, so that's part of our biblical basis. And there's the scriptures that I just shared. Ephesians 2, James 1, and Romans 8.21, if you'd like to take some notes on that. And what we're going to find is those blockages that he begins to show us are revealing to us what the problem is, where it started, where it's coming from. I want to tell you a couple of quick stories. I have taught this kind of a class because I've been in Brazil and in uh, other Spanish-speaking countries many times. Uh, I'm not bragging, but it's got to be over 100, maybe 150 times I've been there. And that's a long story how that happened. Even planted a church in Chile, South America, and lived there for a year. And so I've done a lot of work in South America, and they've asked me to teach classes on this. See, this is like the introductory class, what I'm doing tonight. And it's approximately another nine or ten classes that get very specific on the healing of the heart. And I I won't get into that. So during my time in in, uh, Brazil once, there was a woman who heard about the message, you know, it was in the classes. And she responded. I didn't realize it, but she was sitting there. God was showing her. She's been very dishonoring towards her mother. Her mother is 97 years old. And so she realizes that. I don't know this. She comes up to tell me the next day in the the next class. She says, I want to tell you a story. 
She says, my mother is 97 years old, and she's been going in and out of Alzheimer's, and she doesn't recognize me. Sometimes she does. And and he, she said to me, in your class yesterday, I realized that I've dishonored my mother, and I wanted to take care of it. I wanted to be honest before God. And so he, he said, I went to my mom, where she lives in the nursing home, and I said, Mom... I have dishonored you. And she explained a certain event or two. And she said, please forgive me. And the 97-year-old mother said, I forgive you. She recognized her daughter. And so this woman comes up to me and she says, that just brought such a blessing to me that a a very reconciliation between me and my 97-year-old mom. This is wonderful what's happened. You see, God can do that in any one of our lives. Reveal to us things where there's a blockage, where there's a law working against us. So we're going to go into some of these laws in just a second here. Let's go on. We're going to go into four basic laws that are similar in a way to gravity, because gravity is the order of this physical universe. Now we're going to go into the spiritual realm where there's spiritual laws that are orderly and are at work in our lives. Now the first one is very important, and that's why it's number one. As a matter of fact, it's the only one from the Ten Commandments that's repeated twice. It's in Exodus, it's now in Deuteronomy, and eventually it's in Paul's writings in in Ephesians. So three times, honor your father and mother, it said. I think that's important when God has it in his word three times. So honor your father and mother. As the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long. There's a promise here, the Bible says even, about this commandment. That your days may be long and that you may be, that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Honoring father and mother. What a foundational law. And I'd have to say we probably probably have all broken this law to some degree or another. Have you ever seen in the supermarkets, they put all the candies and the little trinkets right there by the cashier, right? And how often do we see this? Even we experience it with our little children, or now you can still see it, where the kids get upset with their parents, and the parents say, no, put that back, you can't have that candy bar. Or no, we don't have enough money, you'll hear another parent say to a child. And the the child starts to cry. That's just one day in the life of a child of feeling like anger towards their parent. And so we grow up in situations where we find ourselves disappointed with our parents, where we find ourselves In my case, I had a dad who was very much an absentee dad. He worked the night shift, and when he came home, he was tired and he was angry. My dad was angry, and he took it out on his family. He was really angry with his job. His job was being under his brother-in-laws. His brother-in-laws asked him to move to New York City, be a part of the bakery, the family bakery. It was a factory, actually. Million-dollar business back in the 50s. And come and, and be here and we'll give you a job, they told my father, as a manager. When he arrived, he found out there's no job for him as a manager. They said, we don't have it yet. You're going to have to drive a truck and you're going to drive it midnight shift. You'll work from about midnight till about nine o'clock in the morning. And so when my dad came home, he was angry that he was promised a managerial job. And it went on for one year, five years, 10, 15 years, never got the job. And so you can understand it, even though it's very difficult for a child to understand these things. And we can't. When he comes home, he's angry and he's angry and he can't take it out on his bosses, which are his brother-in-laws. He's going to take it out on the children or sometimes verbally towards my mother. And so that's the kind of dysfunctional family I was in. Okay. And so that's my end of the spectrum of dishonoring my father. I remember thinking uh, very harsh words in my mind, at least. And sometimes I would whisper it. I had judgments against my father because of the way he acted. And I was scared of him because of the times where he would take it out on us with the belt. 
and he would you know, do some beatings for us. Um, and again, I already shared it this morning, if you weren't there, to see him give favor to my older brother, which is very cultural in the Greek family, he never got punished. He never did anything wrong. And to see him favor him, and I'm the middle child, and then there's a baby, and the baby is special. So I'm in the no man's land. I'm in the middle where I get some of the punishment, and sometimes I don't even know why. I don't know what I've done wrong. And so imagine growing up like that. You could imagine with me that I would have some dishonor in my heart towards my father. Now you might say, well, you were a Christian. You, you were born again. All is past. It's, it's forgotten. It's forgiven. Well, in a way it is, but there are still laws working in me. And even though I have gotten saved and I'm assured of heaven, there's some log jams in my life. Some laws that are still operating that I don't even recognize where they came from. But as God has illuminated to me and shown me that there's this blockage between you and your dad, and you've got to make it right. You've got to, you've got to forgive him, and you've got to ask him to forgive you for your dishonor. And I started applying that, and I started getting breakthroughs in my life. Because these laws can work for us. Because if you honor father and mother, it goes well for you in your life. If you dishonor, the implication is it doesn't go well for you in your life life. And I've seen this happen in so many people's lives that they get the illumination that they have dishonored their father or their mother. And they see that this has been working against them in their life. Let's go to the second one. The second basic law, Jesus says this, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so it's kind of like a ball. When you throw out a judgment, it's eventually going to come back and bounce back to you. If I threw this against the wall, it will eventually bounce and bounce and come right back to me. Because that's what Jesus is saying this, this law works like. When you judge, it's going to come back at you the same way sometimes. The very things, later on we're going to see another law, he says it a little deeper. He says, you find that what you judge, you do the same things. Have you ever wondered why uh, there are people who've been raised in alcoholic families and there's like a string of generations where they're alcoholic, alcoholic, alcoholic. I'm sure they judged their parents when they were little and they find they're doing the same things that they said they'd never do, that they hated, that they, they didn't think was right. It's a law that's working in people's souls. It's even a law that works again, you know, in a way for unbelievers. And so Here's a third law, and we'll go into this in just a minute. So let me just say it like this. This is like a ball of judgments, right? Catch this, right? And eventually it's going to come back at you. Hold on to that in just a minute. Okay, the third law, the third basic law, Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap. It's like a harvest, right? For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Again, it's like planting a seed and it's going to grow and it's going to come back at you. It's going to come up as a harvest. The Bible says those who sow into the wind will reap a whirlwind. It'll get even stronger against you. Have you ever seen people who are very bitter in life? And you find out that they've started their bitterness when they're little, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and their life isn't going well. They find that they've been sowing bad seeds, and, and they don't know, why is my life not better? Why don't I have the blessings? And when you're a bitter Christian, these laws are working against you. Let's go to the fourth law, and I just want to give you some examples in just a minute. Romans 2.1. Paul says it like this. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Again, it's like a ball. Let me throw this to you, sir. And if we don't 
play catch well enough, that's okay. So it's like a judgment. And I throw out the judgment, but the Bible says it's going to come back at me, right? Here's a story I want to tell you. There was a guy who came to my church in Tulsa when I used to pastor there. And um, he was brand new. And so as soon as church was over, I went over to say, say hello and introduce myself. And and the man said to me, uh, hello, my name is Brandon. And I said, Brandon, are you, are you new in town? Uh, or is this the first time you visit our church? I know. So what's your story? He says, well, I'm a pilot. And there's a brand new airline that's coming into the city of Tulsa. And uh, th- that's my new job. And I said, great. And I said, well, how did you hear about our church? He said, my spiritual mother believes in the healing and restoration of the heart. And she told me I really need a lot of work. And she said, uh, she looked you up and you're part of like this network of churches that, that teaches this kind of stuff. I said, well, great. I said, uh, Brendan, um, how about we meet on Tuesday? Come to the office here. At uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, I'll meet you here. So Tuesday morning comes along. I'm getting ready. You know, I showered. I shaved. I'm getting ready. I'm driving up to the church. And it's like three, four minutes after 10. As I'm walking up towards the church, because it's a long walkway, I see Brendan at the door. And Brendan's going like this, pointing at his watch. And I said, hello. And he goes, you're late, man. I said, "Uh, I'm sorry. um, I got started late. He said, no excuse. He said, you're late. And he said, you gave me your promise, didn't you, that you told me to be here at 10. I was here before 10. I was on time. You were not on time. He said, you need to come on time next time. I said, okay. So I said, well, let's get inside. We go inside. And I said, tell me what you need counseling about. What is, what's going on in your heart? And he starts pouring out all these problems he's got. He said, I don't know why I'm like this. I don't know why I, I don't have success in relationships. I want to be married. I'm in my 30s. I, I, I want to have children. I don't know why, Jim. I don't know why. So, you know, I said, basically, you know, I'm trying to find roots in his life. I said, well, Brendan, um, let me share with you some like laws, these spiritual laws that are working. And we'll talk about your life. We'll spend more days together, but let's just talk about it. I said, let's, let's see these four spiritual laws that, that are found here that you just started seeing. And so I said, uh, Brendan, um, this last one is, you know, when you judge, the very same thing comes back at you. He goes, okay, yeah, I, I know that's in the Bible. I said, Brendan, tell me about, like, your, your family. I said, well, he said, what do you want to know? I said, well, like when you were young, tell me about your, like, your home life. He said, well, it's good. Me and my dad are really in good relationship. I said, well, that's good. I said, what about your mom? And he said the most terrible words about his mom. I can't repeat them tonight. I was shocked to hear him talk about his mother like that. And so I realized we were going on two hours, and I said, well, Brendan, let's pray, and um, we're going to need to work on this. And I said, I've just shared with you a few of these principles, but let's meet again next, next Tuesday. He came to church. He really enjoyed it and everything. But let's just put it this way, folks. He had so many problems that he was dealing with. And so the next Tuesday comes along, and... I realized I got to get there before 10 o'clock because I don't want this. I don't want this again, you know. So I get there at 10 minutes before 10. I park my car in the parking lot. I walk to the building. I unlock the building. I turn on the lights. I go to my office at the other end of the building. I open up the blinds and it's 10 o'clock and no Brendan. And I'm thinking, this is great. This is a setup. This is a setup to illustrate these laws that are working like gravity in his life. He didn't realize. And so 10.05 comes, no Brendan. Ten minutes after 10 comes, and I see the car fly up into the parking lot, slams the door, running towards the building. I run through the building to get to the front door first. I open the door, and I go like this. And he goes, I'm sorry. I said, no sorries doesn't work with me. So you told me you'd be here at 10. 
Remember? Yeah, I know, but there was traffic. I said, no excuse. You gave me your word, right? You promised me you'd be here. He said, I'm sorry. I said, well, I'm not mad at you. I'm just trying to illustrate to you that these laws work against you when you judge the same things you judge people for. They come back at you. I said, Brendan, it doesn't usually happen this quick. It usually happens over periods of years, actually, that things start coming back at us. So come on in. And do you know that I counseled him every Tuesday for about two years straight to help him through his problems? And today he's a very successful pilot in Denver working for Southwest Airlines. He's got a family of three kids. He's married. And, you know, he's experiencing more of the abundant life. I don't know if there's more log jams that God reveals to him since he moved away, but I know he's had some major breakthroughs since I got to meet him and, and minister to him and, and fellowship with him. So these four laws are what works in our life. There's a story about a man named Mike. Now, Mike was a traveling salesman, and Mike really broke all four of these laws. Mike was a man who was really tall, really big, and he would go to church because he was a believer. And when he went to a city, he'd find a church, Bible-believing church, and he'd go to that. And he happened to go to this one church where the pastor had been schooled in the healing of the heart counseling principles that we're talking about tonight. And so Mike came up to the pastor at the end of the service. The pastor was at the door saying, God bless you. Thanks for coming. And this tall guy, Mike, comes and says to the pastor with a very stern voice, I need to talk to you. And the pastor tells the story. He said, I got really fearful. Like, I don't know this guy. He looks really big. He looks angry. And so he said, well, come into my office. So they walked back into the building and they went into the office. And he said, how can I help you? He said, I've got problems. And so he said, well, uh, tell me your problems. He said, well, I don't understand it. He said, I try to be a good father, but I'm harsh with my son. He said, I, I don't hit him or anything like that, but I don't praise him. I, I don't give him compliments. I'm, I'm actually very critical of my son. And he said, I'm the same way towards my wife, and, and I, I just don't like it, and I don't know why I'm like that. Why am I like that, Pastor? Why? And he said, well, tell me about your childhood. And he said, why do you need to know that? That's the past. And he said, well, just tell me. I need to know about your childhood. Tell me, like, when you were growing up. And he said, my father was an angry, alcoholic man. And he said, I was always a big child, and sometimes he'd come home, he'd take off his belt, and he would beat me, and I deserved it. I did something bad. But sometimes I don't even know what I did wrong, and I would get beaten. And he said, it came about when I turned 13 that I guess I just realized I'm as big as him now. And so he said, when he took out the belt to hit me, I stopped him, and I grabbed his hand. And I told him, you never touch me again. And then he said to me, said to the pastor, he said, when I turned 15, right around 15 to 16, he said, I left the house. That's the last I saw of my dad. He said, well, why do you want to know that? He said, well, sir, you know, one of the laws that, that really is about a heart is if you dishonor your father and mother, even if they are doing wrong things, hurtful things to you, it still is a law. If you dishonor, it doesn't go well for you. And so he explained to him the principle of forgiveness. You need to forgive your dad. And you need to ask God to forgive you for your dishonoring your parents, your, your father. And Mike said, I'm ready. I've been having problems all my life. I'm ready to do it. And so he prayed with him. He confessed to God. I've been dishonoring towards my father. I really hated him when he beat me. But I forgive him in Jesus' name. And God, forgive me for my dishonor. And, and Mike went off to, you know, his work and left the city. And approximately, you know, months and months later, all of a sudden, he sees Mike. And Mike's in, in the, uh, the audience, so to speak, in church. And Mike's raising his hands, you know, and, and worshiping. And afterwards, Mike says, Pastor, I need to talk to you. He said, Pastor, I, I, 
I've been going back to church ever since I had a breakthrough with you. I've been going back to church. And they asked me to be one of the ushers. And he said to the pastor, he said, and, and I'm starting to get a little bit more acclimated to my son. I'm starting to relate to him better. And it's starting to change. It's starting to be very healthy. He said, thank you for helping me. Well, folks, Mike broke all four basic laws that I just put up there. And yet, with a breakthrough, removing some of the major log jams, he started to get help in his life. He started getting the the abundant life that Jesus promised for each one of us. And so judgments are like a ball. And when you throw them out, they come back at you. And sometimes they come back years later, many years later. Now you hold on to that. Okay. Actually, I'm giving it to you. Okay. You're welcome. Okay, let's go into this next one. So what are the steps of the healing of the heart? Now, this is really, really important. The first step is recognition. If you recognize and the Holy Spirit shines his light and shows you, you know, sometimes it can be just a little thing. See, these are like tools. These are like tools for the healing of your heart. And I have found that I have utilized these tools to help me get my heart clear and purified. You remember when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said this very amazing thing? He said, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they shall see God. And that's our goal, right? We want to see God in our life. And there are so many times where I said, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? Why is it so difficult? It's because of some impurities I was unaware of in my heart. And so the first step is to recognize when the Holy Spirit shines upon you and shows you something about yourself, an event where you, you know, got hurt maybe, and you got angry at somebody, and uh, they, they abused you, they hurt you, and, and you put up a wall to them. Well, the problem is, unless you forgive them, unless you confess and forgive them, there's still a law working in your life. I got so many stories I can tell you about this. One time there was a pastor in Brazil, and the pastor told me, he said, honor father and mother. He said, I can't do that. He said, my father is too dangerous. My father is a drug dealer. He's down in the city, you know, in the, in the really bad parts of town. He said, I haven't seen him often for years. He said, he's a terrible man. He said, I, I can't honor him. He's too dangerous. And I said, Pastor, I'm not saying you have to go talk to him. I'm not saying you have to reconcile and make it right. I'm saying you have to make it right between you and God. And so I said this, you need to forgive your father. Let's pray together. Talk to me about confess and share with me what are some of the hurtful, terrible things that are really holding you back, that are on your heart. And so he began to talk to me and share it. And I said, okay, now let's, let's go into prayer. You recognize it? Let's pray. Let's just confess it right now. And so forgive him and ask God to forgive you for your dishonor and your judgments against your dad, even if he was a bad father. Because it's a law. It doesn't say honor your father if they're good people. It says honor father and mother. And if you don't, it doesn't go well. So again, it's a law. So he he responded. He said, I'll do it. And we prayed. And then he asked a very astute question. He said, how can this law work for me? Because it's saying it's a commandment with a promise. And so if you honor someone, I want to give this ball to you. If you honor someone, it'll go well for you. And so he asked a really good question. He said, if I can't be around my dad, my physical dad, how can I do that? And I said to the pastor, I said, Pastor, do you have a mentor in your life? Do you have a pastor in your life that really took you under their wing and really, you know, nurtured you in your in your Christian life? And he said, yeah, my pastor. And I said, you have a spiritual father or you have a spiritual mother. And when you honor them, it goes well for you. It's like a law. It's like sowing a good seed and a good harvest will come. So you can honor spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. 
And so I told him my story. I said, you know, when I'm uh, when I'm a part of this revival out of Toronto and I go visit, I always make an appointment with one of the pastors. His name is Fred Wright. And I said, Fred has always made time for me. Fred is always available for me. And I wouldn't say necessarily he's like my spiritual father, but in a way he is for for this period of time. So when I go, I'm not conscious of this law, but I'm conscious of my heart. And my heart is, I love this guy. He's been so good to me. He's like a mentor to me, a spiritual uncle almost. And so what I do, I told the pastor is, when I go, I prepare to give him a little offering. Or I give him a little note. Thank you, Fred, for going out to lunch with me and always being available for me. I really appreciate you. And when I see him every time, I I tuck it in his pocket, a little $50 offering or a check from the church or a card from me. And I'm, I'm honoring him as a spiritual father in my life. So I told this pastor, that's what I do. So don't be worried that you can't be around this dangerous earthly father You can see this law work for you with spiritual parents. And I say that to you as well, because it really works. It's a law, like gravity. It works in our life. And so those are the kind of things I've experienced and I've seen in in other people's lives as I've gone through, you know, teaching these classes many, many times. There was this uh, woman in Brazil, and, and she had two children, two daughters, and her husband and her came to me, and they said, we would like some counseling. And I had an hour that it was available, and I said, okay, well, tell me about, you know, why you want counseling. And so the, the husband said, well, my wife is really, really tough on the two girls. My wife and I conflict about this. I think she should be more free towards her daughters, our daughters, and and let them go visit the kids, you know, that they're friends with and stay overnight. But she's just so controlling, and the kids are are getting tired of it. The kids are are just really upset. And she she objected. She said, that's not true. It's not true. So once again, because of my training, I eventually got to the point where I said, I said to the woman, I said, could you tell me about, like, your childhood? And she's like, well, what do you want that for? So I just want to know about you. Tell me about yourself. And she said, well, it's good. I said, okay, that's nice. I said, "Uh, was it always good? Oh, no. She said, my mother was so controlling. My mother this, my mother that. I'm hearing the judgments, the judgments that she's been throwing out all these years towards her mother. And I said to her, it's like a ball. The judgments are coming back at you. I said, Jesus says, don't judge because it'll be measured back to you. Paul says, you'll find you'll do the same things. And she said, oh, my goodness. I said, what? She said, I realized my mother was so fearful. She always kept us in the yard, in the fenced yard. She never let us out. She said, I do the same things. I never recognized that. What can I do? I said, well, you need to recognize it, which you do now. And now let's have a time of prayer. You confess to the Lord that you've judged your your mother. And just be very specific what you recognize. And ask God to forgive you for that judgment. And you forgive your mother. And then I just felt to tell her this. I said, "Um, if you feel to, consider this. Go talk to your mother and just tell her that you're sorry for being, you know, dishonoring towards her and fighting with her. Because she told me they had a lot of fights, still today as adults. And so she came back to the class that rest of that week, and she said, I just had the most amazing talk with my mother. She said, I told my mother the story, what I learned in your class and in the counseling. And she said, and my mother gave me a big hug and said, oh, baby, I just love you so much. She said, thank you, Pastor, for teaching these things, giving me these tools to work in. I'm going to work on these tools. Whenever God shows me this in my life more and more, I'll work on this. You see, it's important to do that, to keep our hearts pure so we can see God more in our life. My last story is an amazing story. It's about a woman that joined our church in Tulsa. And this woman said, could I meet with you and your wife for some counseling? I said, sure. And she said this, she said, you know, she said, um, when she came in, she said, 
I'm uh, not a very, like, dainty woman. The woman was a pretty big woman, okay? And she said, and I'm really not very feminine. She said, uh, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I don't have any of those problems. But but I'm just clumsy, and I, I just don't feel feminine. And and so I, I, I said to her, well, could you tell me about your childhood? And she said, well, yeah, okay, it's good. It was good. And I said, okay, good, good. Well, was it always good? Mm, no. And she started telling me a story, and it was an amazing story. She said this. She said, you know, uh, my father was a, um, a country preacher, and he was known in our little town out in the country uh, as this preacher, but he had some problems. Uh, he was immoral sometimes. He was with another, another woman other than my mother. Now, this woman that's talking to me, and I'm talking to her, her name is Geneva. That's important for our story. So she's talking. And now my wife's asking some questions. And so I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me, and and he says to me this. He says, ask her what her middle name is, because that's her real name. And I looked around the room in a way, and I said, what? I can't ask her. I can't tell her that her real name is not her name she uses. It's really your middle name. But I stepped out in faith, and I obeyed what I heard, you know. So I said to this woman named uh, Geneva, I said, Geneva, um, could you tell me your middle name? She said, "Um, it's Jean. I said, oh. I said, the Holy Spirit just told me, humna, humna, humna. The Holy Spirit just told me that that's your real name. And she got this big smile on her face. And she said, I love my middle name. That's so cool. My real name, God is saying, is Jean, not Geneva. And I thought, oh boy, I hope this goes well. She said, I'm going to call my mother, my 90-year-old mother, and tell her this. So I thought, oh boy, what's going to happen? So we did some prayer. It was very specific. We're going to meet again, we said. On Sunday, she said, Pastor, Pastor, I called my mother. I told my mother what you told me the Holy Spirit said, that my real name is my middle name. And my mother was silent on the end of the phone. And I said, is everything okay? (laughs) And she said, my mother said, oh, I gave you that middle name. My little Jean, she said, I wanted that to be your real name, your first name. But your father called you and insisted that your name be Geneva. And I said, well, why did he do that? And she said, well, Geneva is the name of that other woman that he was with. And I thought, what a shame that's been on her all these years. So we prayed through forgiving her dad for being with another family many times and all the confusion it brought to her as a little girl. You know, Jean Jean Moon is her name. Jean is in this story. She's approximately 70 years old when we're talking. And her 90-year-old mother said to her, I love that name. And ever since then, her sons, her mother, who's now passed away, would call her Jean Moon. They changed. They transferred from Geneva into Jean. And Geneva Moon, now Jean, has been having more of an abundant life. Some of those dishonoring and those shameful things of her past have been released from her. You see, these laws work for us. And so that's my testimony as well that I have found in my life, instead of asking God, why are there problems in my life? Why are there not breakthroughs? I've been asking God through the years, if you want to show me anything about any judgments, any dishonor, any sort of things, I want my heart to be clear. I want my heart to be pure. And that's so important for our life. And so I'd like you to consider that in your life. I don't know what you've been thinking. I have one more story. It just comes to mind. I was teaching these classes, the first class, just like this, in Brazil. And there's going to be nine more. And this guy comes up, and he says, through the interpreter, he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, Pastor, he said, what if a guy 
never thinks that he does anything right. I said, explain that. He said, well, no matter what he does, there's always something wrong. He always thinks he's not good enough. And at this moment, I realized he's talking about himself. So I said to him this. I said, "Uh, tell me your name. And his name was Mauricio. I said, Mauricio, I said, maybe it's very possible that this person, are you talking about yourself? Yes. Okay. Um, That you, there's something in your life that maybe you need to forgive yourself about. Because you're like, it's never good. I'm never good enough. It's never good. And so I said to him, um, do you, you kind of get what I'm saying? He said, no. And I said, well, I know it's kind of abstract, you know, needing to forgive yourself. It's like, I forgive you. Thank you. You know, but we do talk to ourselves a lot, don't we? We say things in our minds. We talk to ourselves and sometimes criticize ourselves and put ourselves down. Right. Oh, that was stupid. What you did, Jim. I can't believe you really said that, you know. So sometimes we hold things against ourselves. So he still didn't get it. And so an uh, an example came to my mind. And I said, okay, let me give you like a a hypothetical example. I said, there's a a little boy. He's nine years old. He's playing and wrestling with his father on the living room floor. As they're wrestling, the father gets a heart attack. He dies. And ever since then, this boy who's grown up to be a man, he blames himself for the death of his father. And so the guy looked at me, and then he looked at the translator, and he said to the translator some things in Portuguese, and I finally interrupted. I said, what is he saying? And she said to me, she said, he just asked me, did Jim tell me my story, or did I tell Jim my story? And she said, I told him, no, Jim told you the story. And so he said, tell him this. And so she translated. He said, I was 10 years old. I was wrestling with my father in the living room of our house. My dad got pain in his chest. The ambulance took him away, and that's the last time I ever saw him. And when the funeral happened as a a little boy, he said, I never cried. All my relatives were so sad and crying, but I stuffed it in. And he said, I knew everyone else didn't know it, that I'm to blame for the death of my dad. And he says, I've been holding that against myself all these years. I said, well, Mauricio, now that you recognize it, the next step is confession to the Lord and forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you. That you've been blaming yourself. Say in Jesus' name, I do forgive myself. The same forgiveness that Jesus forgives me of my sins, now I forgive myself. Let's pray like that. And we prayed like that. Now the last step, according to what you see up there, is repentance. Let's talk about repentance. Repentance is such a a Christian churchy kind of word, right? Repent of your sins. Repent. Many times people in my background, when I was first saved, repent. They'd hear the message in church. And we would run up to the front and we'd repent of our sins, you know? We didn't know why we were sinning. We didn't know why we kept doing these things. But we know we're sad about it. We know we don't like it. So we repent. And you see, folks, I don't think that that is a very biblical strength of a message. Because I believe if you recognize where these roots are, and you recognize what you've done in your past, and you ask God to forgive you, and you confess it in prayer, that then you're going to change, because that's what repentance means. Repentance literally means, in Greek, metanoia, you used to walk one way, you stop, and now you walk in a new way. And so that's the result of you dealing with the issues of your heart. It's not the beginning. Repent. I don't know what I did. I don't know why I'm like this. That's not good enough. That's not strong enough. It really should be the result of your heart change. And then your life will change. So I want you to consider that as we go into prayer in just a minute, that that God really wants to give you a tool. These tools work. They're biblical tools. That confession with forgiveness is such an important tool, but it starts with recognition. And you're going to change. You'll repent. You'll see your life change. And so these tools have helped me in my life. 
they've kept me consistently clearing things out of my heart when things disturb me, when things are frustrating, when things make me angry. I recognize I got to get my heart clear. I can't hold on to these things. And I've experienced more of a breakthrough in my life. That abundant life that Jesus promised, I can tell you I feel special more and more and more in my life. So I'd like to ask you to pray. I'd like you to consider anything as I've been talking about any situation that come, has been coming to your mind. Because it's not just a memory, it's the Holy Spirit giving you a memory. If that's happening, then we'll take it to the Lord in prayer, and you'll talk to the Lord, just like we did this morning, not openly praying out loud for everybody to hear, but a, a whisper of a prayer where only you and God can hear it. And let's utilize this, let's exercise ourselves in these kind of tools, these biblical tools. Take home that little, you know, diagram of the lake of God's blessing. Maybe even write down these four steps because these are very, very important to your life for the healing of your heart. These things work. I'm here to tell you how much it's helped my life. And so God is good and he loves us. He's our father and he wants a heart that gets healed up. Eventually, we're going to get even our bodies healed up and saved. But right now, he's working on our hearts. Amen? So let's do that. Let's have a a moment of prayer. I'd like to pray for you first. If you could just bow your head and just close your eyes and be open to be ready to pray and whisper a prayer. If you recognize even a little detail, a little example of someone you've been judging recently or someone from your past, it doesn't have to be a big event. It could be just something that frustrated you even today. Then ask God to show you, to recognize in your life that I've judged that person and I need to ask you to forgive me for that, Lord, and to just clear up your heart. And so I'd like to pray. So Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for the biblical message of the restoration of our hearts, the healing of our heart, the salvation of our soul comes through the engrafted word, which illuminates to us where we see those things that are not pleasing to you. These laws that work for us or against us, Lord, they're just to bring order to our life. And they can bring a good godly order to our life if we see them working for us. And so, Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for the laws that you have shown us through your word. And, Lord, we thank you that you are for us, not against us. And you want the abundant life to be more so in our life. And so, Lord, would you just teach us after today to remember these tools, to recognize when we're finding ourselves hurt and angry and frustrated and, and even embittered by a situation that we ask you, Lord, for forgiveness and we even forgive those people who might be hurting us at the time to get our hearts purified, to get our hearts clear and open so we can receive more and more of you and more of what you intend for our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray for each one of us here, Lord, that, that you would now hear our hearts and that you'd hear the words of our heart that, Lord, we we really want our hearts to be free. We want your abundance in our life. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And so in just a moment now, you can pray a prayer. Keep your eyes closed, if you will. Keep your heads bowed. You're not looking around. You don't see anybody else. And just whisper a prayer to God. If you've recognized one thing, one event that comes to mind, let's just go to it in prayer to the Lord and say, God, forgive me for how I reacted. And I forgive those who might have hurt me. And let's just go and whisper that prayer right now. Thank you, Lord. You can just move your lips. God will hear it. You don't have to be very loud at all. Thank you, Lord. So it's important to confess. So do that now in prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You're so good, Lord. I just ask you for that, Lord. You're so good. Come, Lord. Jesus, you are healed for our healing. To assist us, Lord, to take care of us. This time, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Freedom, Lord. Teach you what's here, Lord. 
Thank you, God. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for your unconditional love. And yet, and yet you love us so much you want to free our hearts and you reveal and shine your light on us, Lord. And you do that not to point a finger or condemn us, but Lord, you're showing us those things that we need to deal with. And you bring freedom as a result of it. So Lord, I thank you for that freedom. I thank you for the purity of our hearts. That's what you're showing us, to keep purifying our hearts. And Lord, it comes when the word of God is engrafted into our soul. It's able to save us. So thank you, Lord, for that today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. If you'd like special prayer or any um, individual prayer, I'm available up front if you'd like any prayer for anything. Uh, Maybe there's a sickness that you'd like prayer for healing or maybe something else or something that relates to the message. Um, I just want to say thank you. So we won't we won't end the service in a way, but we'll have prayer time. But if you're um, if you're free and you need to go, you know, be blessed. And hopefully that today's messages were were helpful to you and to know something about our fire values as a network of churches. And um, those were two of our fire values, two out of the four. So uh, God bless you. Wonderful being here. Thank you for the invitation to to be here. And uh, we'll keep in touch. I know we're more connected now than ever before. So so if you'd like prayer at any time, uh, I'm available. I'll stay up here. But bless you tonight as you go. And thank you for coming.